You're listening to The S2 Show, a podcast where you can listen, learn, and be inspired by professionals. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Stephanie Saunders. On The S2 Show, I interview some of the world's number one experts. My goal is to help you by giving you a glimpse inside the climb to their success and give you a sneak peek into our guests' behind-the-scenes stories to help shed light on the journey. After each episode, you should have actionable steps to apply on your road to building your empire. Expect to hear from real estate moguls, founders, CEOs, authors, and influencers. Let's get started. This week on The Us 2 Show, I'm joined by Benjamin Inman. Benjamin is the founder and CEO of Inman Equities, which is a private equity firm focused on acquiring multifamily assets throughout the United States. They currently have over $280 million in assets across 4,000 multifamily units. Benjamin started in the real estate world over 20 years ago, and in today's episode, he shares how he climbed to the top of the real estate world where he now focuses on farming unicorns. Benjamin also discusses a few of the pit stops he made along his journey, and one of those includes his time working with Grant Cardone. I can't wait for you to hear his story and how you can enter the multifamily investment world. Welcome to the S2 show. Uh, Today I'm here with Benjamin Inman and Benjamin Inman is an investor, author, and and you are the the owner and founder of Inman Equities. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Stephanie. Pleasure. So tell me a little bit about um, how you started Inman Equities because you're doing some big things as a unicorn buyer right now, (laughs) which I love that phrase. Yeah. The unicorn farmer, I guess you could say. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a loaded question, right? Because it's it's easy to see. So I started the company right at three and a half years ago. And so people have been following our journey for the past three and a half years. And they see that we went from zero units to we're right at 3,000 units with another 500 units in the pipeline right now. It's easy to look at that and say, oh, man, that's great. You built that in three and a half years. But the reality of it is, is you don't see the 18 years that went on the back end of it. In, in Nashville, they have there's a saying that it takes 10 years to make an overnight success. Uh-huh. And it's very, very true. Yep. So there's a lot. I guess you, I need you to tell me how far back you want me to go. Well- well, I think that's actually a great segue to how you started because, you know, it's something I'd love to hear from you is your prior life um, when you worked for Grand Cardone. So I'd love to hear how that was and kind of how you ended up leaving that parting ways and, and getting onto your journey here. Okay. Yeah. So, I'll, so I'll, I'll kind of start from the beginning and I'll kind of roll into the, to the, to the answer. So I started as a landscape architect in the industry, mainly because I always wanted to be where I am today and further, right? And so, but to get there, I had to start where I could get my foot in the door and where that place was for me was as a landscape architect and started designing blueprints for single family homes and then quickly 
you know, wanted to once again be in the apartment business. So I sought out that opportunity and landed a, a, a job with a developer in Miami um, designing architecture for all the, all the properties, the exterior um, program. So, but that also resulted in me overseeing the installation of that, of those projects. Uh, and then that just moved into me overseeing a lot more of the exterior CapEx items. And then that moved into the interior renovation program. And so from there, that, that journey lasted for five or six years. And then once, once the economy went down um, back in 08, 09, uh, I ended up relocating back to Nashville, started a marketing company um, because real estate is the last place you wanted to be right. at that point in time. So I started a marketing company. Uh, did very well, um, made it to the point to where we were, we represented a lot of well-known artists. So basically oh. I created a marketing company from scratch. That's what you said. Music, right? You yeah, were, so it became one of the top music marketing companies in Nashville. That is um, so cool. What were you doing then? What, what exactly were you doing for them? Just like yeah. branding them or. Yeah. So a lot of it was, it was two, two points, two phases to it. There was a, uh, oh, I guess a tech technology side of it to where right. we, were, we were building websites and we we're building mobile apps for the artists. Uh, but we we're also building marketing campaigns as well. And sometimes we were able to integrate all of them together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that went really well. We were, we, we were representing a lot of Sony artists, uh, a lot of independent artists uh, on the country and the Christian artist um, side of things. But uh, for the most part, that, that journey lasted for five or six years. Um, and then during that period is when I was introduced to NASCAR team. And that's why the NASCAR conversation is still part of who I am today. Right. So it started back then. Um, but when the economy started to pick back up around 2012, I went back into real estate, uh, took a short little stint with Marcus Millichap, not because I wanted to be a broker, but once again, I just wanted to keep a foot in the door. Mm-hmm. And when the, it started to tick back up, it's when I, I jumped over. Uh, so I closed down the music marketing company, uh, started in the, started with Marcus and Millichap. Uh, that didn't last very long. I mean, cause you're, when you're a broker, you're dialing for dollars and that's just, that's, that's not who I am as mm-hmm. far as I'm not a broker. Yeah. Um, but during those phone calls, I come across this guy named Grant Cardone who I had no idea who this guy was. Right. Uh, so I was calling on his properties in that he had in Nashville because I was interested in you know trying to sell them. Uh, so I called the office, uh, the secretary answered the phone and told her who I was, what I wanted. And, and she asked me, she said, well, are you calling about the properties or are you calling about the job? I said, well, actually I'm calling about both. Tell me more. <laughs> there you go. And so, so she transferred me over to Grant's executive assistant uh, who told me more about the job, told me I had to send in a video. It's like 20, like a 20 second long video why I was the best person for that position. Right. So I did that. I sent that in uh, a week later, they called me for an interview. So I went back to Miami for an interview, um, had my first interview with Grant. Uh, before I did that, I, I, I said, well, if I'm going to meet with this guy, I need to learn who he is. Like I need mm-hmm. to learn his personality type and everything. So I started watching videos. I said, okay, great. He's, he's a sales guy. He's going and just, let me just go in and close him down. Right. So I went into this first interview with him and he was laid back. He was the opposite right. of what I expected. So it threw me a curveball. So I had to immediately adapt on the spot, um, to that personality shift that I was not expecting. So I made that shift, went through that interview 
two weeks later, they called me for a second interview back because I kept following up like every other day. If I didn't hear from him, I was calling him and just I wanted to stay on top of him. So call me back in for a second interview. So this time I'm like, okay, I'm going to go back in there. I'm going to be more calm, more laid back, and take my time answering the questions. Right. <laughs> and then in that second interview, he was the sales guy. Oh, he that's like, great. Opposite. So he flipped it person. on you. <laughs> yeah. And so I had to adapt yet again and kind of like just go with the flow. Yeah. So they offered me the job, um, ended up running his uh, real estate company for just over a year because I gave myself a period of time that, cause there's a lot of things that we agreed to verbally and there's things that we had written down and I was giving myself a, a particular point in time to where I wanted things to be, I guess, fulfilled um, mm-hmm. or I was going to leave. So that's kind of like the story there. We, you know, when I got there, it was called Cardinal Acquisitions. We, we were buying, you know, properties with, you know, his capital had some, you know, some family that he would allow into certain deals and things like that. And then me and Ryan Secco, his, his pilot, uh, who was in the office with me, um, we talked to Grant about letting us syndicate capital from his, his fan base. Right. And he's pushing back on it at first said, no, my, you know, my fans don't have that kind of money. And he just, the reason he was saying that is not because he didn't believe they had money. He was saying that because he just never tested it. And that sure. was the easiest answer. The easiest right. answer right? right. So ultimately pushed through that. Uh, so we decided to launch that. And that's when he started launching the real estate uh, show that we were doing every Monday at 12 o'clock. Um, that's when all that was come together at one time. Mm-hmm. And they did so well that we raised, I think it was 12, 12 or $13 million in like 60 days. That's um, great. That we bought. Um, and that's what gave birth to Cardinal Capital, and they have gone to continue, you know, their journey. Um, they're buying newer product now, more than the, you know, Class A core mm-hmm. plus side of things. <clears throat> At the time, it was just focused on Class B. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I left, they just continued. You know, I guess they shifted their focus. But when I left, I left to start my company. Got it. Well, good for you. I mean, it sounds like you set a tone for yourself there too. And I'm sure you learned a lot though. Yeah. In that look, life. There, there's a couple things that I learned from that. I mentioned to this, the family that I worked for in the past that really kind of started off my, I guess my journey or my career in the, in the multifamily business. Right. Um, still very close to that family today. Every time, every time I'm in Miami, I go in and see them and say hello. That's nice. Uh, I still have a good relationship with them. Um, but this is a family that came from Cuba. They, came over here with nothing and they built you know, something from nothing from the ground right. up and you know, they're billionaires now, Yeah. Uh, but it always had that hustle. I mean, even, even back then the guy was worth a lot more money. Um, certainly more than I was at the time still is to this day. Um, but you know, he, but he was always showing up to the office first. He was the last one to leave. And that's the first time that I really saw someone being rewarded for putting in that amount of work. Right. Because I always had that drive in me, but you just never felt like it was rewarded. Just based, it's all based on the environment you grew up around, right? Sure. And so when I, you know, shift back over to Grant's conversation, uh, you know, 10 years down the road, uh, I saw it again. I saw a guy that, you know, had achieved a lot, uh, had, a, had a, a, a good net worth, but he was still showing up out hustling everybody at the office. And I'm like, so that's the second time that I had very intimate experience with these guys that were not, they never claimed to be the smartest person in the room. 
Sure. But they out executed everybody. And that's probably the main thing that I learned that really just sunk in was you don't have to be the smartest person. You don't have to know everything. One of Grant's sayings is, you know, commit first, figure the rest out later. That's so true on so many different levels. So many people get caught up in analysis paralysis and just don't make a decision or they get stuck. They never start that business or they never take that trip or they never do this or whatever the case may be. But you know, the, the reality is, is you just got to commit to it and figure yeah. it out. Yeah. No, that's a really big statement though. Out executing everyone in the room. That's, Absolutely. that's the way to do it. It is. Yeah. So that's, so that's something good I learned. Another, another good thing that, you know, Grant said um, is if you, if you buy on cash flow, cash flow will take you through any downturn. And it's a good thing that we adopted that because throughout 2020, when, you know, things weren't going so great for people, um, you know, collections were down, you know, we had to shift over to a more of an operational and management side of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully the properties that we purchased were strong cash flow purchases so that when a pandemic hit that like happened, you know, starting in March of last year, we, we were able to take a hit and still keep the ship floating. Sure, sure. The main, the main name, everybody thought the sky was going to fall and everybody was going to lose the shirt on their back. Yeah, but a lot, a lot it, is, it was not that bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the main goal was just to say, hey, we have to keep our mortgage paid and we have to keep our, our, our bills paid. Right. Um, if investors have to, you know, be, if, the, if we have to defer their, their distribution payments, in order to keep the ship floating, then mm-hmm. everybody's going to have to agree to do that. And right. no one's going to say no, right? Because right. nobody wants to bleed it dry. Right. So, well, I really, I appreciate something you mentioned. We we did a little mini clubhouse recently and are still feeling out that world. Um, yeah. And I'd love to hear your opinion on what clubhouse is going to do for your business. But you said something about a property that you just stumbled across that is a, I think it was it in a 55 and up community and that it's okay. Right. And you mentioned that it's been really solid because these people are living off of social security. So they have not been impacted by COVID, which is, it's really a recession proof investment there. You know, it's a great property. The property runs itself. Uh, If I could find a hundred more like this, I would, but so the story on that deal, so it's 52 units. uh, it's, It's in Georgia. Uh, it's a, it's a hat deal. So there's, you know, most of the people that, are, that live there are 55 and older. Um, and it's not really by design. It's just the, the tenant mix is there. Uh, but you're right. The, these are all people that are, have now, most of them have retired. So they had planned pre pandemic for at least having some type of, you know, nest egg to, to pull from. But in addition to that, it's, it was also a government subsidized as well. So the government, you know, they, they put their, the money in the account every single month. Right. And, and that's like 90% of the rent. And then the tenants have to pay their, you know, their 10% portion. Um, but we never missed a beat on that deal. And that, that's property, great. that property is producing a 12% cash on cash. Mm-hmm. From day one. We haven't had to do anything, but add an add a new awning to the property and just do some very light landscape trimming. Um, and the mortgage is amortizing. Wow. So, paying down the debt and we're getting a 12% cash on cash for the investors, which is fantastic. We don't right. even have to think about that property. And right. I don't know many people who have, have bought into purchasing properties in that realm of, of demographic. And I actually, it sounds like a win. 
I think so. It is, it's, it's akin to like student housing and yeah. you know different types of housing. It's my feedback to anyone that ever asked me. It's always, if you're going to do that product type, you need to mm-hmm. focus on that product type only yeah. and build out your systems um, just so you're the most efficient for it. Right. Uh, we just happened to stumble across that deal. Right. That's, that's not your usual buy bucket, right? It's not, right. but it is two miles down the street from one that we already have. That right. It is a full great property. So it was just an easy add on. Yeah. Uh, we got it at a great basis. Yeah. Um, and it cash flows well. So I'm you know, like, why not? At least to, to help diversify the portfolio a little bit. Sure. That's great. Um, I will buy more. Let's talk about your portfolio. So I want to talk about, you mentioned like classes of property. And I think, you know, something that I'd like for our listeners to take away from our conversation is obviously your expertise in what you're doing, but sort of where you're focused on the growth in buying those unicorns and like what your target purchase bucket really is. Yeah. So we still buy class B and some, you know, class B properties, but you know, it's in the eye of the beholder, right? So it's it's what I may say as a, a C minus, you may say as a C plus, mm-hmm. you may say as a, as a B minus. Right. But no, uh, no D's, you know, you can't confuse a D and a, and a B minus. Uh, <laughs> I can take Memphis and give you all the D's you want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you it. People, you know, oh, it's a 10 cap. Yeah. Well, you're going to collect your rent with a, with a, with a shotgun and a bullet. Right. Bed. <laughs> right. I know a lot of buyers who buy that D class. I'm telling you, they, they like it. <laughs> Not for me. Yeah. It, it, well, yeah. once again, it goes back to having your systems in place. Absolutely. If, if, if you're efficient in that, then right. great, because that is a great fit for someone. It's just not someone. Yes. Yeah. So we focus on mainly class B, some class C properties, uh, Southeastern focused. So Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, uh, Florida. Um, that's primarily where 99% of our portfolio is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're entering the Texas market as we speak. Um, it's great. Just, I think Texas, just like Florida, it's, you know, you have a very yes. bullish governor that's like, we're not shutting this thing down. Yep. People are going to keep working because yep. they have a right to work. Um, yeah. So that's the reason why we're going into, into Texas, but everything else for now is focused on the Southeast. Okay. That's great. That's great. I mean, I think um, you guys are, are definitely growing quickly, which is a really positive thing. And I think you have some solid background experience to kind of even be using to propel you to be better than some other folks out there. <laughs> you, know, you know, I have to, I have to very much agree to that mainly because there's so many people out there and in, in our position that, you know, they, they went to college and they came out and they started at the top. Right. And it's right. so easy to start at the top and just keep maintaining that position. But when you have to really start at the bottom and grind and hustle your way to the top, yeah, there's a lot of things you figure out along the way. Sure. that some people just are not going to be as aware of as we are. Sure. Um, but so that, that hands-on approach, that, that well-rounded knowledge, I think has helped us a lot. Um, yeah. not, not only in buying properties, but of course with attracting, you know, more investors because without the investors, we can't buy the properties. Right. 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 So, right. so um, I want to talk about your book. So let's talk about money matters. You said this was, uh, it was in 19 that that came out, right? Yeah. Well, I think it came out. We, we did the, we did the, I wrote a chapter in this book. It's money matters. I wrote the real estate chapter in here. Well, actually I take that back. It's, it's a, it's that the real estate edition. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a chapter in here. Um, and it finally came out, I think at the first of 2020. 
So it's just, you know, my first, this is the first book that I was involved in, which I guess ah. made me an official author. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, where can we find it? Can we, can, we'll have to do a plug at the end so everybody knows where they can check it out. Yeah, so Amazon, um, okay. that's where they primarily sell them. Cool. Um, like yeah. tips on how to, you know, and get better at in real estate investment. What's the what's the main real estate chapter? Yeah. So my real estate chapter was on syndication. Okay. How to you know take a yeah. take a deal through syndication. Um, but there's other chapters in here that you know, like there's one for uh, where art meets real estate. There's one on leadership. There's one on you know is investing for rich people. Cool. Um, yeah. So what the way that they structure it is they have different authors that specialize in their field. Oh, that's great. And and that particular author that specializes in, in that field has a chapter built around them. Sure. Sure. So that's really actually, getting, yeah, different perspectives in one. I like that idea. Correct. And it's, and it's you know, co-authored by people that specialize in that subject matter of that particular chapter. Right. Whereas if I tried to write a book and touch on every chapter that was written in here, it may not be as effective because right. I don't try to know everything about every angle. Right. I just need to know enough and specialize on the things that, that we specialize in. Sure. Do you have a book that you are reading right now or one that really made a difference for you in your business journey? In the business journey? or Yeah. Like what's a book that really changed like your perspective or gave you some guidance on your success path? So I have a few. Okay. <laughs> so my, my first one is the art of the deal. Yeah, sure. Trump, that that book will forever sure. be a classic because, and I'll tell you why. There's and there's so many different pointers in that book. They're just phenomenal. But there's he was at a time when this really wasn't being done. He was he started buying air rights. Right. And he bought air rights so he could take the value of the property and and increase it. And increase it by, you know, building more floors and more stories. Right. Um, you get more, you know, just more out of the, out of the land purchase for that. Right. Um, so that just, just that kind of thinking helped a lot. in just knowing that your creativity is not based on, you know, the art form of just painting a picture, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything that you do in life is an art form and, you just got to think creatively everything, whether it's exercise, whether it's or health and wellness in general, right. whether it's, you know, mowing your yard. If you if, if that's what you do, it's like, you know, have fun with it. Yeah. If you're gonna do it. Be the best at it yep. type thing and just be creative. That way you can be more efficient with you know your time and effort. Uh, so the art of the deal really helped out with a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, there's another one called Emerging uh, Real Estate Markets by David Lindahl. Okay. Um, just let you know that regardless of the economic cycle that you're in, there's always real estate always has its own internal cycle. Oh yeah. So, so that was a really, really good book that I really liked a lot. Um, so I'd say those two, okay. you know, is just really good eye openers. Right. Um, and now we have your ebook. Yeah. So I, I wrote an ebook. It's called uh, tips and tools to buy your first multifamily property has not been released yet. Okay. Um, but that will be released in the next 30 to 45 days. Nice. Um, but I'm, and I'm not one to procrastinate very much at all, but I wrote that over a year ago. Okay. And, but the reason that I have not released it yet is because there's a lot of people, gurus, 
in the in the market that you know purchase a hundred unit property or maybe two fifty unit properties. Now they think they're an expert on you know teaching other people how to buy things. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to be another one of those people, mm-hmm. and so, but those people really motivated me to say, hey, I'm not trying to be one of them, but I do have a well-rounded perspective of what it actually takes to own and operate multifamily property that goes beyond just acquiring property. Cause I can teach you how to buy your first property. Right. But what happens when you close, mm-hmm. when you right. close, that's when the real work starts, right? Because now you have to fulfill that business plan that you promised to your investors, assuming that you syndicated it. Um, that's when the real work starts yeah. and that, that journey continues for, you know, your whole period of, you know, however long it is, three, five, seven, 10 years, whenever, whatever it is, right. everybody's different. And let's talk about that for a second. So I like you mentioned um, right now we have so many people who are experts, which is great. I love to see that, you know, anybody could make it happen with a following on social media, et cetera. But you really have to be careful who you believe and who you listen to right now, because, you know, everyone is suddenly selling a, a boot camp and a course. So what's your thought there with that? I mean, does that motivate you more to want to get on and have like your digital footprint so that you can share your expertise with people in this free way so that they, they don't get suckered into to paying $2,000 from Joe Schmo that may not really know what he's doing. Yeah. So (laughs) great question. (laughs) It's a loaded one. (laughs) Let me start by saying that. I 100% believe in capitalism, right? If, if you can do it, do it. Right. Um, but there's a time and a season, right? And I think some people are too early in their season, but once again, if you can do it, do it. So, but yes. So looking at some of these people that have bought maybe a hundred units, some even less than that, and they want to create a, a weekend real estate course and charge you 2,500 bucks to, to 10, I don't know that I could support that. And the reason I say that is they're teaching a very one-sided side of the business. And that is, Hey, this is how I bought my first 50 units. Or and that's, I'm not saying that's not valuable information, right? Sure. But that's only one piece of the picture. Sure. Right. And why not give that for free too? Like that's you adding value. Like that's really what it, right. this is about. So that's what helped me motivate, help motivate me to want to, write this ebook. And yeah. then I mentioned I, I launched a, uh, a podcast last year uh, that we did maybe four or five episodes and we're about to start rolling out some yeah. pretty heavy content. Uh, but that's another reason I did that. And the name of the show is the Cashflow Harvest Podcast. And it's about, it's the truth of what it really takes to own and operate multifamily properties right. because it goes beyond the acquisition. Right. Way beyond yeah. the acquisition. Right. And I, um, I think we have so much information available right now. Right. So like, what do you think the best way for people to do their research? Like you can listen to someone who has a podcast with a hundred episodes, right. And they, again, still may not be really that knowledgeable, but maybe then they're selling a course. So what is like their number one to, to know whether you're getting involved with being educated by someone who actually knows their stuff? Knowing their background. Yeah. Perception is reality. And there's, I can name off two in particular mm-hmm. people or groups, whatever you want to call them that started really by nothing more than interviewing people mm-hmm. and putting out that content, which there's value there, right? Sure. Because they're interviewing experts in their own field, 
which is which is great because you're digging out information and you're providing it to the masses, right? right? And so, but by default, you're kind of looked at as an expert yourself because right. you're the one that interviewed these people and you're the one that put it together. But it doesn't make you Correct. educated enough Correct. on the subject matter to start a course. However, I will say this that and you probably even know this to be true that when you're interviewing someone that's a specialist in whatever their field of study is, and if you are focused on, let's just say real estate is mm-hmm. what we're talking about today, then after you interview a hundred people, hundred people plus mm-hmm. on different subject matter, different topics, kind of by default, you become an expert in a way. So the perception is not, it's misleading, but it's, it's not really because you are learning. I hear that. I hear that. I'm not, I will not own that I am an expert in your field at any point because I've interviewed you, but I do see, you know, I think people, they are kind of taking that approach right now. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you you just, you know how it is. It's almost, it's just like listening to a podcast or reading a book. It's, you know, I learned, I learned back in 2001, I heard um, a statistic that if you read on average of one book a week, Mm-hmm. in your area of study, whatever that study is, whether it's marketing, whether it's real estate, right. whether it's, you know, insurance, whatever it is, yeah. one book a week for one year, they say that you'll have the equivalent of a PhD. Wow. That's now, wild. I'm not saying if that's true or not. Right, right. I, I can see it being pretty good. Hey, how can you discount PhDs? Right. Um, <laughs> but, but I will say that I took that information Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is back in 2001. This has been 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I've been applying that ever since. Right. That's now, cool. I did read a book a week for a, and that, that could be reading a physical book or that could be an audio book. Sure. And, you know, there of course have been weeks that I did not accomplish that, but let's just say it's once a month. Yeah. I read a book. Right. Yeah. But I've been doing that for 20 years. Right. Um, you know, you learn a thing or two. Yeah, sure. So, but I do think people have to be careful. So I appreciate the ebook. You know, I think it's good. I think more people need to hear from people who are doing big things and who know their, their stuff, know who to follow. Yeah. Yeah. So let's switch gears a little. I want to know more about Benjamin Inman uh, in your personal life. So okay. I do think all things Benjamin Inman, though, are investment strategies. So you have some involvement with NASCAR. Is that right? Yes. So this what, goes what back. What do you do? Yeah. So this goes back to the, when I had that marketing company, I got introduced to the race team. The reason I was introduced to the race team is because they wanted us to help them with their marketing. And yeah. part of it had to do with sponsorships and, and things of that nature. So we were heavily involved in that. And I learned so much about the inner workings of that world that I told myself that once I'm in position to come back as a sponsor, I'm going to structure a marketing plan for my company that we can execute on and be, I wouldn't say flawless, but almost bulletproof to the point where I can force the return to happen. Mm -hmm. So I'm not just spending marketing dollars in in hopes that it works. Mm -hmm. I can spend marketing dollars and force it to work. Right. Um, because NASCAR is a very B2B operation. Really? So a sponsor, yeah. I mean, so as a sponsor, let's just say you have, you know, insurance. So mm-hmm. you own an insurance, sure. right? And you have to understand that there are a lot of brands that are represented in NASCAR. So mm-hmm. you see FedEx and uh, 
Lowe's, Home Depot, Menards, Target. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? Right. And all those people own real estate or those corporations. Somebody's insuring their companies. Sure. Right. And so there's different things that can be structured to where it puts you in meetings with the heads of these companies. Sure. You can go in as a sponsor. Yeah. And pitch your goods and services. And right. you know, it's up to you whether you land the deal or not, but the right. door can be opened. Right. Right. And right. so in learning everything that I learned about that, uh, I always told myself I was going to come back to NASCAR and, and be involved. And so in 19, I did that. Uh, started sponsoring the 32 car in the, in, in the cup series. So in NASCAR, you have three series. You have the, the Camping World Truck Series. You have the Xfinity Series and you have the Cup Series. Mm-hmm. The Cup Series is the very top of the top, right? Mm-hmm. And then second below that is Xfinity and then the Truck Series. And then sure. there's a bunch of other race series that fall under that. But everything else is right. inferior to, to those. Um, so we're involved in the Cup Series. And in doing that, I'm able to take out you know different investors and different you know, companies I may be attracting because we get a lot of work that we get done at our properties from a a renovation perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have a lot of buying power, right? So I could go to a window company, for instance, and say, Hey, you know, come out to the track. I'm going to invite you. I'm going to pay your way. You're going to get this experience, you know, and uh, and we have X amount of windows that we replace every year. Uh, I'm looking for a window company Mm -hmm. to, uh, we can talk with. So basically I'm bringing them buying power. Right. In hopes that I can get a reduction in pricing based on that bulk order. Sure. Um, sure. So, so I use it for business purposes, but it's. I love that. And so you, you sponsor, what car is it? Now it's the, the number seven car. Number seven. That's yeah. actually really, I love that. That's like an insider little like trick of the trades. I like that actually. I would do the same. It, but when it, can it, I, when can I sponsor a car? Yeah. Hey, you, you let me know. I, I, I know some people. That sounds like, um, that sounds like a great idea. Where, where yeah. is NASCAR? Is it in Atlanta? No, they're based in, so their headquarters is in Daytona beach. It is. Um, okay. But they have, you know, big offices in Charlotte too, but Charlotte. The, the races are all over the country. Yeah. Um, I mean, California, Phoenix, Las Vegas, Nashville, right. Texas. I mean, you name it. There's certain, and you can pick and choose which races you want to be involved in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're we're involved in uh, the upcoming Atlanta race that's on okay. the 21st. So we're gonna be in that race. We're gonna be in the Nashville race, the Dallas race, the Charlotte race, right. uh, and the next Daytona race. But we can always add on. But it goes back to us knowing how things have to be structured because right. otherwise, if if you were to call up the team and say, "Hey, I want to sponsor." car. I mean, there's many different sponsorship opportunities. There's the full wrap, there's a quarter panel, there's a rear bumper, there's a, you know, a B post and C post, which is like right. the area between the windows. Right. Um, so many different avenues of being involved and each one has its own price tag. Right. Um, but the reason that I sponsor the, the team and the car that I sponsor is because a close friend of mine represents them as an attorney and he grew up in NASCAR. Every, every, member every male member of his family has been involved in nascar that's like, cool for the past 50 years right and his dad was one of the vps of nascar until he retired a couple years ago so with him i have access to a lot of things that you wouldn't normally have access to sure so that's why i work with him with the drivers that he represents is because i can get more favorable treatment sure sure but i'm sure you 
You like NASCAR too. It's also cool. Oh yeah. my God. Yes, yeah. it is. I mean, put it this way. I, I, I grew up in the South. Right. Never had a reason to go to NASCAR. I just saw that a bunch of cars going in circles, right? Right. Um, <laughs> but it's so much more than that. Yeah. It's, and I've, I've been to NFL. I've been to NBA. I've been to, you know, baseball. I've been to a lot of professional sports games. And nothing comes close to matching the professionalism of a NASCAR race. I mean, it's so well orchestrated. And it's not just these cars that are going around the track, the technology that's in it, that's, that's integrated into them every single week. So every, every week, it's a brand new car. Sure. They rebuild every car. Every, every week, they get a brand new engine. Right. Um, so I, I know too much about Yeah, about sure, that. sure. But you um, also like it. But, you know, it's funny. To me, I feel like what you're, you sound like you really know marketing. But mm-hmm. it's almost like that's all like the dinosaur version of marketing. Like it's your old school, like people aren't doing newspaper, magazine, uh, commercial anymore, right? We're right. all like on this little screen on our phone or on the internet. But that I think is one that will stick around. Like it that's an old around. school. Well, because there's so many different components because right? you have the tracks, right? So you have the physical. Compo- so let me let me split NASCAR into two sections. You have the inner working of NASCAR. That's the team owners, the drivers, their families, and the sponsors. Right. Then you have the fan base. Right. Right. Seventy-five million strong. Forty percent of those are female. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ten million of those are Hispanic. Twelve million of those are African American. Uh, there are more golfers in NASCAR than there are hunters. Um, right. Wow. There's a lot of, there's a lot to know about it um, because it is effective. So you have the physical component. So at the, at the races, you can actually set up an event at a race to talk to people in person. Then you have the online component, right? That you can launch yourself. Uh, There's online component that the team will launch on your behalf and Mm -hmm. press releases and things of that nature. So there's, there's, there are many dynamics to it, right? but they're all very effective. I mean, I've put in, I will say how, how much I put in, but I will say that I have eight X my return. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so, so thinking of, by the way, we, we sponsored a NASCAR event once. Uh, it was in North Carolina. There was a big hurricane over there. I think it was yep. like, wasn't Sally, but it was a maybe 18. Okay. You remember okay. that? storm yeah. oh i remember all of them yeah so we had a tent and it was wild it was last minute but it was it was a lot of fun for sure well yeah i, I can make it i can make it successful i know too much about it so right. uh, i love well, it it's it's great and plus i mean when you're in an environment because right. we have because with our involvement it gives us access to things that you can't buy your way into sure. so because you can buy pit passes but you have to be out by the time the race starts well, we have access to pretty much it's it's an all access. So during the race, instead of the people, the people that have that buy the pit passes that have to leave when the race starts, we actually get to sit in the pits That's with cool. the team owners and the teams. So when the car comes up to get gas or tires, I mean you're like you can get hit with a hot tire. Yeah, that's fun you're though. Close. It's yeah, crazy. That's cool. It's crazy. So, so with that kind of a marketing strategy though, like doing things like that, right? Like what do you think? So I think everybody's on the bandwagon with trying to somehow buy into social media marketing. So what is your take on like what's going to die in marketing and what's going to uh, really take off? I mean, so I think that social media, you know, online ad placements are going to stick around. Yeah. There's so, I mean, that, that conversation itself is so, so large because yeah. 
you know, let's just say your website, right? Because even regardless if you're on social media or not, everything is tying back to your website. You yeah. got to have your, your home base, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to get people's attention. So you have to have your, 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 your online ads structured mm-hmm. in the right way. You can't just think that a blanket general ad, I mean, you really have to get targeted with it. Sure. I mean, down to the demographic. Yeah. Um, and even if you're trying to sell the same product, mm-hmm. you have a different ad for 18 to 25 year old uh, African-Americans. You're going to have a different ad than for the same age group for Asian Americans sure. or, or, you know, uh, Caucasians or for Jewish people or whatever. I mean, you can segment it down as much as you want mm-hmm. and make it very, very effective. Right. But it all has to tie back to your website. Um, so I, I think you can't discuss one without discussing the other. And so you right. have the back end meta tags on the back of your website that right. on the back of the site itself and you had individual pages, the individual mm-hmm. tabs. I mean, right. there's so much. I don't think the online marketing is going anywhere. No, but I think in terms of you doing this NASCAR, and I think that it's actually brilliant. And I don't think that sports or that style of, I, I almost want to refer to that as like B2B marketing. It's like mm-hmm. a little bit you know, removed because it's not like this direct, but you're still like someone sees it, they know you, they're going right to you. Do you feel like you need to have that sort of like, you're the person, you're the brand, you're the company somehow like showing up online now in a way that it didn't really matter before? I I think it's just in a different form, right? Because, you know, Donald Trump used to say there's no such thing as bad publicity because publicity right. is publicity, right? Whether it's good or bad, it's publicity. You, you right. know your name, you know the guy's name. But Grant has the same philosophy as people used to tell him, oh, you're producing too much content. Mm-hmm. But he said, okay, but you still know my name, right? And right. so it's just consistency. You know, the sure. street beats the rock. So you have to be very consistent. Yeah. Um, and I think if, if you're consistent and your content is good, yeah. then people have to know. You can't ignore it. Right. And that's the reason why a lot of these people have, you know, whether whether you're a music artist or whether you're a political talking head or whether you're an expert in your own field of, uh, you know, your own field of study. It's if you're consistent, it you there's no there's you have no reason for you have no excuse not to be successful. Right. No, sure. I think people are struggling with like buying into this whole I think there's a shift a little bit. And I think like clubhouse, what are your, let's end on clubhouse for, okay. we've wrapped this up with marketing here at the end. What do you think about that element? Like that is you promoting yourself essentially as the expert and people are loving it like $800 million valuation in two months. That's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I love clubhouse. I yeah. think it's fantastic. And I love clubhouse for a couple of different reasons. Number one, you know, I've, I've spoken at a lot of multifamily conference events mm-hmm. and of course, 2020 threw a, a monkey wrench into that the whole situation. But yeah, but I think everybody's craving getting back to that platform to where you can start going to events. We can get on stage and keep talking and share knowledge because, you know, I, 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 want, I like to give back. Yeah. And I think Clubhouse, it's almost like going to a conference, but it's in the palm of your hand. Right. right. Good perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Conference any time of the day, seven days a week. Right. And you can chime in, you can create your own topic. You can create your own you know, stage, so to speak. Right. Your own subject matter. Um, so 
I love Clubhouse for that reason. I don't, yeah. I get on there every once in a while just to check in and check out. Right. But, you know, once I get behind tax season, <laughs> I'm going to be a lot more active. It's just, yeah. When you have so many investors and you have K1s that are due and, you know, all these financials, it's, sure. It's a lot this time of year for, for us, but. Sure. Yeah. And, and you can get really buried in all this stuff. I mean, there's so many places you can pop in and pop out of, especially Clubhouse. <laughs> right, right. No, but I love Clubhouse. I think it's going to keep, keep growing. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going anywhere to be yeah. quite honest. And I hope it, I hope it sticks around. Right. Are you no. looking forward to getting back out there and actually seeing people in real life? I, I love being out there. Um, I love being on stage and help helping share knowledge yeah. um, because, you know, with, with some of these panels, you have a topic and then you have four or five panelists up there with you and each person giving their perspective mm-hmm. and which is a really unique um, way of, of presenting it. But sure. I think everybody's craving that. Yeah. Well, you know, let's, let's end on that, that we hopefully next time we're all talking, we can do it together. <laughs> Yeah. There've been so many podcasts and so many videos. I'd love to like actually see some people in a room. It 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 it's it brings it all full circle. You know, Absolutely. because I run into people like at conferences that say, "Oh, I, I follow you on social media. Right. You know, great to meet you in person." And that means a lot. I mean, because sure. it lets you know that it's working. Right. Right? And because right. my philosophy is this, whether it's online or whether it's, you know, us being on this interview today or whether yeah. it's on, you know, on the stage, my philosophy is if I can give back and one listener or one viewer or one attendee is impacted in a positive way by something that I said, then to me, it was worth every minute spent or every yep. dollar invested. Um, just because you know, I live by the philosophy, you, know, you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. But if you give a man a fish, you feed him for the day. Yes. And that's so important for people to know and just yep. live by that philosophy because you know, at the end of the day, it's it, you, people don't want, well, I mean, I can't speak for everybody because there are people that want just handouts, but True. what's the benefit of that? Because there's really very little value to, you know, if you get something for free, yeah, right? You give somebody, you know, so, so go to a, uh, go, go, go to the ghetto, right? Whatever that ghetto is. And you give somebody a brand new Mercedes. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you in less than a year, that car is going to be all beat up. Right. Now you give that car to someone and you make them pay for it. They're going to take care of it. They're going to wash it. They're going to wax it. They're going to change the oil. They're going to freak out if there's any, even a, even a minor scratch. But if you don't have to pay for it, some people don't see it as value. It's not the same, not the same level of value. Right. So anyways, that's uh hope that was <laughs> Well, I think the two takeaways here are show up and dominate no matter what your status is and be the man that wants to learn how to fish. That's correct. I like those two takeaways for this. Or lady. Or lady. Of course, I'm a lady (laughs) and I said that. I'm obviously not a feminist. (laughs) No, but I I like that. Those are two really good takeaways. Listen, this has been awesome. A a lot of knowledge here, a lot of insight and, you know, insight into you and your, your past and how you got to where you are. Thank you so much for being on with us. Thank you for having me, Stephanie. Been a pleasure. You rock. You're awesome. I appreciate that. 